Lamentations chapter 3, um, the prophet Jeremiah challenged the people of his day who were leading unchecked lives with these words. This is what he said. He said, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. As, uh, as I conclude this little section of Peter's letter this morning in this mini-series that uh, we've been doing, I think that God's challenging us with Jeremiah's words. Because as we get closer to Christ's return, the question is, are we taking time to carefully examine our lives in light of the word that we receive? Are we willing to allow God to show me who I really am? Turn with me again to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to look at uh, the last part of this little section, verses 7 through 11. We're going to look at the last two verses, 10 and 11. But I want to read the context again. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Peter writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So to review, Peter, the feisty fisherman turned fiery apostle, has a message for us. And it's quite provocative. It's simple yet profoundly challenging. As I've been saying, serious times call for a serious faith. And the question we've been wrestling with for the last few weeks is this. Am I and are you taking our faith seriously enough? So ask the questions. Do you have a bold spiritual perspective? Do you have a balanced perspective of soberness and joy in these times? A burning spiritual priority to love others from the heart, as Peter says. Do you possess a welcoming honorable, hospitable spirit. If you do these things, you're taking your faith seriously enough in the midst of serious times, according to Peter. But as I said last time, there's a couple more things, more exhortations in this text that really completes the full picture of what Peter's talking about. Along with his exhortations that we've seen over the last few weeks to think clearly, to live prayerfully, to love each other fervently, and to embrace each other cheerfully, Peter urges every one of us who is serious about their faith in these difficult, trying times to do a couple more things. And the first one is this. He says, serve each other faithfully. Serve each other faithfully. If you're taking your faith seriously, you're going to serve each other faithfully and will manifest a believer's sense of purpose. Verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards 
of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Let's just end right there for a minute. Now, I've preached entire series on the subject of spiritual gifts and the importance of discovering our mission and purpose in life. I don't want to attempt to replicate all of that material this morning, but I would like to just elaborate just a little bit because Peter does. Whether this is the first time you've heard it or the 400th time it bears saying. All of us who are Christ followers, if you're in Christ, if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've given your heart to him, you have been given a spiritual gift, at least one. Or more literally, what the Bible calls a grace gift. And as such, in light of the times, according to verse 7 here, we ought to be engaging them. Is that right? That's what it says in verses 10 and 11. The question we have to ask is, are we doing that? And if we are, how are we employing them? And according to Peter, they should be used in this way, just in these two verses. In serving God's people as stewards of God's grace, by God's strength, and for God's glory. It's that simple, right there in the text. So what is a spiritual gift? You may be asking yourself this if you're new to the faith or if you're new here. Very simply, here it is if you want to take the notes. It's a God-given, God-empowered, God-controlled ability for God-centered service. Okay? It's a God-given, God-empowered, God-controlled ability for God-centered service. Sample lists are given in Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and here in 1 Peter chapter 4. In this text, Peter breaks them down generally into two basic categories. He breaks them down into speaking gifts and serving gifts in this text. And he says that people who are serious about their faith will employ them faithfully. That's what it says in verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Let me read verse 11 to you in uh, this text in the New Living Translation. It's on the screen behind me. Are you called to be a speaker? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Are you called to help others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then God will be given the glory in everything through Jesus Christ. Tacked to my parents' refrigerator when I used to live at home the many, many years ago now. For over 20 years, I saw these words tacked to my parents' refrigerator as what my father considered to be 10 of the most important words in the world. And here they are. Find out what you do best and stick with it. Find out what you do best and stick with it. In a similar way, God wants us to tack that idea of our understanding of spiritual gifts to our sort of our spiritual refrigerators. Except that the power 
is not rooted in our personal competence, but in our upward dependence upon God. That's what Peter's saying here. Who directs us and strengthens us. Jesus said in John chapter 15 in verses 4 and 5, you cannot be fruitful apart from me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Peter then gives us four guidelines on the how and the why we should be using our gifts to serve each other. Number one, we are servants of God's people. Look at verse 10, the first part of the verse. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. Fact, point of fact, spiritual gifts are for the benefit of others in the body of Christ, not for ourselves. Okay? And the best way to determine whether or not we are truly servants of God's people is how you and I react when we're treated like one. A true servant of God doesn't wait around for thank yous and for compliments and applause from God. He or she simply does the job because that's what he or she has been enlisted to do. Is that right? Listen to Jesus' words to his disciples in Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 11. Suppose one of you has a servant who's plowing or looking after the sheep. And when he comes in from the field, do you tell him to hurry and eat his meal? Of course not. Instead, you say to him, get my supper ready. And then you put on your apron and wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, you may have your meal. The servant does not deserve thanks for obeying orders, does he? It is the same with you when you have done all that you have been told to do. Say, we are ordinary servants. We have only done our duty. Now, to be sure, it's really nice when our service is recognized and appreciated. You know, Pastor Appreciation Month is hard for us. I'm not going to be here next week. Because <laughs> of this text, see? <laughs> but the point is, it, it is nice to be recognized and appreciated, but we don't use our gifts for the purpose of recognition. None of us do. We do it because we've been called and we've been commissioned, put into service by God himself. And our hearts will not rest until we know that he's the one that's pleased. Now, we, for our part, by all means, should be grateful and appreciative of those around us who serve selflessly because we certainly are the beneficiaries of that. I am certainly the beneficiary of much of your service and gifts, all of you. But from our perspective as servants, from our own perspective as servants, our attitude should be that applause and recognition is great when it comes, but the lack of it, though somewhat discouraging, should not determine our commitment to serve. As Christ's disciples, we don't really have a choice, do we? We've been enlisted. Because God is the real object of our service, isn't it? 
Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for human beings. Remember that the Lord will give you as a reward what he has kept for his people, for Christ is the real master you serve. There's an old Danish proverb which says this, what you are is God's gift to you. What you do with yourself is your gift to God. Peter goes on to say that not only are we servants of God's people, but we are also stewards of God's grace. Look at verse 10 again. It says here, employ this gift in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now someone has said that stewardship is what a man does after he says, I believe. The word for stewards in verse 10 means to be a manager, means to be a trustee. It denotes the administration of someone else's property. As a matter of fact, that same word is used in 1 Corinthians in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let me read it to you. Let a man regard us in this manner, writes Paul, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Trustworthy. How are you managing those gifts that God has given you? Are you being a trustworthy steward of what God's gifted you with? Are you being faithful? Are you being trustworthy? God deserves the best that we can be and the best that we can give. Amen? But as Rick Warren pointed out in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, he says, Satan will try to steal the joy of your service from you in a couple of ways. He's going to tempt you to compare your ministry with others. And by tempting you to conform your ministry to the expectation of others. Both of these are deadly traps that will distract you from serving in the way that God intends for you to serve. Whenever you lose your joy in ministry, he says, start by considering if either one of those two temptations is the cause. Comparing ourselves with somebody else and conforming our ministries to someone else's expectations. Again, Warren points out that when we try to overextend our ministry reach beyond what God shaped us for, guess what happens then? We experience stress, right? Stress. You see, each of us has our own particular race that we have to run. Our own particular race that we are equipped specifically by God to run. And it's not about being envious of the runner in the lane next to you, Focus on the finish line and run your own race, but you've got to be running. That's the key. You've got to be in the race, amen? Only you can be you. If you don't make your unique contribution to the body of Christ, guess what? It's not going to be made. Because God made you and shaped you in a certain way that only you can supply. Johnny Erickson Tata told a story one time she says there's a church in England that has no lights. Many people who visit the church are shocked that the architect left out something as important as overhead lighting. 
But the architect had a plan. The various families who regularly attend the church are given their own pew, as well as a lamp and a book. And when the family comes to church, their lamp is lit. Now think about that. Picture that. I've been in churches overseas that look like this. Every seat has a, a lamp and a little desk. Okay? So if you're not in church, guess what's not lit? The lamp. What difference can one darkened pew make? Well, not much, you might think. But what if several pews are lacking light? Then the whole church would be affected, right? It's obvious if all are present and in their pews, the church is alive with light. If not, the place becomes dark. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, she says. If any one of us is not using the gifts that God has given, there will be darkness. But as we use our gifts, the whole body is full of light. Now, this isn't really about church attendance. This is about church involvement. This is how intimately we're linked with one another. He made us light in order to shine for the sake of other people. Amen? Are you being a good manager of the gifts that he's given you or the light that he's given you? Are you making the most of those gifts for the sake of God's kingdom? Humorist Irma Bombeck had a great outlook on this and maybe it should be something we should adopt. She once said, quote, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say, I used everything you gave me. Nothing left. See, we're servants of God's people, Peter says. We're stewards of God's grace. Thirdly, Peter says we ought to be steered by God's spirit. Look at verse 11, first part of the verse. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. This little device right here, for all of its intrusions, what I'm holding here in my hand right now is an amazing work of contemporary technology. And for certain applications, I am incredibly and eternally grateful I speak so much against these things. This time I'm speaking positively. One such application is the GPS app <laughs> installed on this device. It's brilliant. It's convenient. And it's incredibly helpful. From somewhere up there and out there through a number of stages and relays, satellites direct a signal down to this little device which can tell me in a voice of my own choosing, by the way, <laughs> where I am and how I'm supposed to navigate to my destination. Anybody use those? Yeah, I'm sure you do. I'll never forget the first time I used one of those. It was not actually on my phone at the time but a separate device called a TomTom. -tom. I was a little skeptical at first. My initial thought was a bit tongue-in-cheek at the time. I kind of like was a little sarcastic about it. I was thinking, yeah, that's just what I need. One more voice in the car telling me how to drive. 
right? But I have to tell you, I am never, I've never been so thankful for a GPS technology than whenever I drive in a congested, unfamiliar city, and especially in a foreign country. I cannot count the times I've had to navigate around a strange inner city grid, which is often clogged with annoyed, unforgiving drivers, horns blaring, hands gesturing, and lips mouthing things I cannot mention from the pulpit, all the while trying to drive on the opposite side of the center line of which I'm used to in order to find our desired destinations. I often put in my Bluetooth earpiece and I hand the device to my wife who plugs in the address and in a matter of moments, we're on our way guided by a confident, unemotional, <laughs> non-argumentative, albeit sensitive woman's or man's voice with an accent who tells me that after 200 yards, stay in the middle lane and take the second exit at the roundabout. <laughs> you know, the beauty of a GPS is the stress relief that it provides. Even after making a wrong turn, it simply recalculates and in a soothing, gentle manner encourages me to take the next street guiding me to an alternate but equally accurate route. Life is good with a GPS. That is, until you lose the signal. If the device does not properly receive an uninterrupted signal, you're as good as lost. Powerless to find your way and reach your goal. Is that right? However, when properly connected, there's no problem. Listen to Peter's words again from the New Living Translation. Are you called to be a speaker? Then speak as though God himself were speaking. Are you called to help others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then God will be given the glory in everything through Jesus Christ. All glory and power belong to him forever and ever. Amen. Right in the margin of your Bible, if you haven't done this before, spiritual GPS. Okay? You know what that stands for? God provided speech. God provided strength. Because that's what Peter says. Let God, if you speak for God, let God provide your speech. If you serve God, let God provide the strength. Listen, friends, in this life, we need a clear and a constant signal directly from God so we can both discover our position and our purpose, where we're going, amen? In the church as well as in the world. But we also need something more. We need God's power and God's strength to carry out his charge. Just as my reliance upon the GPS can relieve my stress and provide me with confidence as I meander and maneuver through a hostile city, so our dependence and our reliance upon the words and strength of God will bring us all the way to the finish line without fear or anxiety. So as you and I employ the gifts that God gave us, you know, we need to rely on him for our strength. We need to put Peter's GPS system to work. God provided speech. 
God provided strength. Are we being steered by God's spirit? Because we're servants of God's people, we're stewards of God's grace, and we ought to be steered by God's spirit. And you know why the ultimate result of all of this is because we become spotlights for God's glory. Look at the last part of 11 here. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we use our gifts in this way according to the GPS plan, we turn the spotlight on God and away from ourselves. Everything we do becomes centered on his glory. We decrease so that he may increase. How foolish it is for me to take credit after I've navigated through miles of narrow, winding, confusing back roads of Scotland that I should be applauded for my great navigation skills, knowing the whole time it was the GPS that was doing the job, not me. I was just following directions. I can't really take any credit for that, can I? Yet I often do. Don't we all fall prey to that in the church? The Westminster Confession of Faith endures as one of the most comprehensive statements of faith ever assembled. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, part of that confession, asks and answers 104 essential questions which form the basic tenets of the Christian faith. The first question in the Shorter Catechism is this. What is the chief end of man? In other words, what's your purpose? Why do we exist? The answer it gives, as one man described it, is both eloquent and simple. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Here in capsule is both our eternal and earthly purpose defined. It describes the man or woman who is serious about his or her faith. So the question is, are you enjoying God? Is what you are doing in your life as you enjoy him bringing him glory. Because friends, if Peter is saying anything about our Christianity, he's saying this, it's all about God. It's all of God. And it's ultimately all directed at the glory of God and not us. And that through Jesus Christ. Notice his words again in verse 11, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And that's really the sum of it, isn't it? Peter says, finally, when we take our faith seriously, we will honor God continuously. Honor God continuously. In all things God, Peter says, not me. In all things God, not you. In all things God, not your family, not your ministry, not your church. In all things God. Again, Rick Warren said it precisely and succinctly in the four opening words of the opening chapter of his best-selling book, Purpose Driven Life. These are the first four words. It's not about you. And it's not, friends, it's not. You and I were created to have a mission in this life. We were made to make a difference for the king and his kingdom. But the truth is, as one author suggests, if we don't pursue the mission for which God made us, we will find a substitute. 
We cannot live in the absence of purpose. We're just not wired that way. If we do not live our God-assigned mission, we will live what one pastor called a shadow mission, playing a game we were not meant to play. I once attended a conference where John Ortberg elaborated on this idea of a shadow mission which constantly threatens us and tempts us. To briefly explain, he says that just as we all have a mission, a way of contributing to God's kingdom that was designed and gifted for specifically us, we also have what might be called a shadow mission. My shadow mission is what I will and what I will do with my life when I drift on autopilot. It consists of the activities toward which I will gravitate if I allow my natural temptations and selfishness to take over. Everybody has a shadow mission. For example, Frodo's mission in the Lord of the Rings trilogy is to be the ring bearer, correct? And what's he supposed to do with that? He's supposed to bless Middle Earth by destroying the ring in the fires of doom. But the hardest part of his mission is not defeating the external enemies. The hardest part is renouncing the shadow mission of choosing to claim that ring for himself. It's the internal enemies and seeking his own power and glory. So being clear on your shadow mission or my shadow mission and naming it is enormously helpful to us because we see it for what it is. We realize that we do not want to devote our life to that mission. At the end of the game, our shadow mission missions all spell the same result, despair. Discovering what is needed to fulfill the meaning of your life is not the same thing, my friends, as being successful. And it's never easy. But deep in our souls, we know that an easy mission is not what you and I were made for, is it? It will not thrill us because no one ever went to see a movie called Mission Not So Difficult. <laughs> you, like Frodo, are the ring bearer of the king. Your mission is to bless this earth with the gifts that God has given you and to accomplish for him the purpose for which God has saved you. The question is, will you do it? And it's not going to be easy going to be fraught with many temptations, with fear-inducing dangers and endless distractions, and you will constantly battle the enemy who wants to drag you into your shadow mission. Jesus experienced those battles, those spiritual battles, throughout his ministry, if you remember correctly. New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce writes, time and again, the temptation came to him from many directions to choose some less costly way of fulfilling that calling by the way of suffering and death. But he resisted it to the end and he set his face steadfastly to accomplish the purpose for which he had come into the world. You remember in the desert, Satan tempted Jesus to achieve his mission without hunger, without pain, and without opposition? And in the desert, as well as in the Garden of Gethsemane, Satan tempted Jesus to bypass his mission, which was what? The cross. And to claim his Messiahship by yet another means. 
But Jesus' great victory, however, was the victory that he claimed over that temptation of that shadow mission while hanging on that cross for you and me when he proclaimed, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And his victory gives us, his followers, the courage to renounce our own shadow missions and to follow his As Major Ian Thomas wrote in The Saving Life of Christ, he said, the Lord Jesus Christ claims the use of your body, your whole being, your complete personality, so that as you give yourself to him through the eternal spirit, that he may give himself to you through the eternal spirit, that all your activity as a human being on earth may be his activity in and through you. So that every step that you take, every word that you speak, everything that you do, everything that you are may be an expression of Christ in you. If it is of him and through him and to him, where do you come in? You do not, he says. That's just where you and I go out. The only person whom God credits with the right to live in you is Jesus Christ. So reckon yourself to be dead to all that you are apart from what he is and alive unto God because of what he is. Serious times, friends, demand a serious faith. Think clearly. Live prayerfully. Love each other fervently. Embrace each other cheerfully. Serve each other faithfully and honor God continuously. He who has ears to hear, let him hear.